Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, specifically verses 5 through 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's not a problem. There's a Bible right in front of you in the pew back. It's a black Bible. You can pull that out and turn with me to page 1021, and that'll get you to 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Pelham. Tennessee, not Pelham, Alabama, Pelham, Tennessee. One reason that you would be familiar with this town that is about 25 minutes away from the University of the South, Suwannee, Tennessee, is that they have a concert venue that's really very unique. It's called the Caverns. And so it's a standing room only venue that is set inside a cave. Uh, You're not going to go and see a Taylor Swift concert there, but uh, you and 750, 1,000 of your friends could go to this venue and see bluegrass band, country music artists, those kinds of local artists there. When they're not hosting these kinds of concerts there at the Caverns, they have uh, uh, tours, tours of the cave. And so you can go three hours, four hours into the caves. Uh, You can go on an hour guided tour. My family and I, we went through uh, one of these tours a few years ago. And sort of the culmination of it, about 45 minutes into the tour, is that they cut off all the lights. Some of you have been in sort of setting like this. But this setting is so deep into the cave that there's no artificial, or excuse me, there's no natural light that is going to allow your eyes to get adjusted to the darkness. You are in those moments which I'm sure was just about a minute where we sat engulfed in the darkness, but it felt like five minutes. It felt like 10 minutes. You begin to hear all the sounds of the cave as you cannot see your hand in front of you. I couldn't see Danielle to my side. I couldn't see anything. You're just engulfed in the darkness. Minute goes by, two minutes goes by, they cut all the lights back on us in that moment. There's just this sense of tangible relief in light of the darkness that is just so consuming. The Bible talks about darkness and light throughout Scripture. It uses those images as prevailing images of what resides inside of us, a, a darkness that resides inside of us that is only overcome by the light outside of us. It's a familiar theme that we're going to see in our passage this morning in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that speaks of this very dichotomy, this very contrast between darkness and light, the source of darkness, the sinewing circumstances of darkness, but even more than that, the power of the light to overcome the darkness. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse Verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, well, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, verse 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, repetition of verse 8, if we say we've not sinned, we make him, that being God, a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Two salient truths that I want you to hold on to from these passages of Scripture here. And the, the first is that John tells us without any hesitation that God is perfectly good. So, so we can trust him. God is good, so we can trust him. It's almost as if the Apostle John wants us to have a, a backstage pass to be able to see intimately the subject of his analysis here, which is God himself. He wants us to get up close and personal to see what is at the essence of God. I mean, if you go to a concert, maybe you have these uh, very rarefied sort of behind the, the, the scenes, behind the backstage passes to be able to see the artist or the band that you've come to listen to. And you see the beads of sweat after you know, three hours of their, or their set right there, or, or you see them real intimately. And it's almost like John is saying, hey, come behind the stage and be able to behold God, know that he is what? He is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. God is perfectly good. This is what John wants us to know. Uh, the image of light, it is the image that is familiar to anyone who opens up the Bible to see how God is described. It's actually the very first creative act in the book of Genesis. God spoke and he said, what? Let there be light. The psalmists, they pick up on this theme uh, throughout the Psalms. Um, just some of the passages that come to mind are, are Psalm 36. In your light, do we see light? In the light of God, we're able to see the light before us. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me, Psalm 43. His brightness, Habakkuk would said, was the like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. Isaiah describing what our destination as followers of Christ will be like in the new heaven and the new earth. Isaiah chapter 60 reads, the sun shall beat no more your light by day. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall not uh, no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be, notice again, the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. It's not surprising to us when John is sort of narrating in John chapter one in his gospel who Jesus is, that he uses this imagery of light to describe Jesus's mission to come into this earth. John chapter one, verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So Jesus has a mission in this dark world to be able to shine his light so that we'll be able to see the light of the father, the light of the son, the light of the Holy Spirit, that we would have a relationship with the purity of God, the holiness of God in light of our darkness, our impurity, our mistakes, our sins. John's gospel in the eighth chapter, John's gospel in the ninth chapter, Jesus himself self-identifies by saying, I am the light of the world. So here we have this image to describe who God is. God is light in him. There is no darkness. And it's just a truth that we need to hold on to at all times. But it's a truth to remind us that there, there is completely without 
any other descriptions to be able to, to nuance this. God is complete radiance. He's completely and absolutely holy. There's no mixture of sin in God. He's perfect in his justice. He's perfect in his goodness. There's no taint of iniquity in God. And that's, that's really good news. Really good news for all of us at all times. A couple of weeks, there's going to be a new Mission Impossible movie. I've not seen it. I mean, I don't know anything about it. I've not even Googled what, the, what uh, Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise himself, is going to be up to in this newest edition of the Mission Impossible franchise here. But I've watched enough Mission Impossible movies. I can add to that. Sort of, I've watched enough James Bond movies to know that there is going to be some type of supervillain. I mean, the details change from movie to movie. But uh, Daniel Craig as James Bond, Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, they, they all have to go up against this antagonist. They all have to go up against the supervillain. The supervillain always seems to have unlimited resources. They, they seem to have no conscience whatsoever. They seem to have a, a brilliant mind. They all are owners of private islands. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. <laughs> They all are in a real estate, you know, kind of deal there where they get their own island. And, and on their island, they have endless amounts of, they've got their scientists that they're there. They've got their servants that are there. And they've got a small militia that is there. But thankfully, we live in a world where uh, supervillains uh, can be overcome by, by Daniel Craig and Tom Cruise. And we can rest easy at night, right? I mean, it's just a movie. It's just fictional. Nothing to worry about, right? But here's the truth, that we actually do live in a world where there is a being that is all-powerful. There is a being that has unlimited resources. There actually is a, a being that is all-knowing and is everywhere at all times. And what if this God was evil? What if this all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere God was petty, temperamental? What if this God was vindictive? What if this God wanted to get you back? And the, the truth of this passage is for us to actually be able to sleep at night that this all-powerful, all-knowing God is perfectly good. And so whatever you experience in life, whatever I experience in life, there are a lot of questions that accompany the, the dark roads that we travel. But one question that we never have to ask is, is, is God trying to hurt me? Is God trying to get me back? Is God being vindictive to me, harmful to me? Now, everything that we experience in life that God allows it's not all good, but he uses it for our good and ultimately our glory. So whatever we experience in life, we experience it under the umbrella of God's perfect light, his radiant splendor, his absolute perfection and goodness. I have a good friend of mine who's having church right now. He's a pastor. Pastor Lowell for decades has come before his congregation. And the first thing that he says every morning is God is good. And they say all the time. And then they say all the time, and he says, God is good. That call and response, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. 
is a foundational bedrock for all of us that are here because there are going to be times where life doesn't feel good and the company downsizes and you're cleaning out your office and it's in that moment that you have to be reminded God is good all the time. All the time. God is light. And with sickness, stings, and sadness is sort of the shadow of your life. It's in those moments that you have to hold on to the fact that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. And it's when your marriage comes to this place where it feels as if it's at a breaking point. And when that son and that daughter that are living in the prodigal land and you're praying for that grand reunion where you'll see them come around the horizon and you've been praying that for months, you've been praying that for years, and yet at this point you've not had that time where you can uh, go and kill the fatted calf and throw the party and put the robe over that son or daughter that you would love to be able to celebrate their return. It's in those moments... We must hold on to the fact that God is light and in him there is no darkness. God is good all the time and all the time God is good even when they're not good times in your life and in my life. God is good so we can trust him at all times. But in contrast to that, we hold up the mirror John wants us to see not just backstage to the purity of God and the radiance of God, but he wants us to look into the mirror to be able to see ourselves, but to look into a mirror that that searches deep into our soul. And as we look into our soul, when we look into our heart, we see something that is in opposition to the holy, holy splendor and radiance of God. And that is the darkness that lurks in your heart and in my heart. Again, in this passage, we see that we are not perfectly good. But thanks be to God, we can be forgiven by a perfectly good God. We're not perfectly good. John's going to reiterate this two times in our passage. Verse 8, verse 10 almost says the same thing. I think he is saying this because there's been a temptation to deny this truth, and there is a temptation now to deny this truth. And this is the truth. If we say we have no sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, him being a uh, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the prognosis. This is the malady that is upon all of us that are here in the sanctuary. None of us are exempt from this. We are sinful by nature, and we choose to sin by choice. This is the problem that lurks in all of our hearts. This is the darkness that we can't outpace and get ahead of. It is a darkness that lurks in all of us here. It's just a three-letter word that is almost extinct in our culture. Sometimes it can feel extinct in the church. It packs this powerful punch, sin, sin. It's us choosing 
to disobey a holy God. It is choosing to rebel from his standards. It, it, is, it is twofold. We, in the Book of Common Prayer that John led us through, it was, a, it was a call and response for us to walk in the truth of our sin that at times a holy God places standards before us. And you know what we do? We, we step over those standards. We cross the line. And then other times we, we sin because God is calling us to step forward to love our neighbor, to love him, and, and, and we sit back. So we sin by choice in stepping over a line, and we oftentimes sin by, by not doing what he has called us to do. So at times we sin by doing what he has called us not to do, and at times we sin by doing what we should do, but we choose not to do. And what the Bible teaches us is that we are sinful not just by our choice, but we're sinful at a deep place, the deepest place, by our nature. Now, what do we do in light of this? I mean, there, there are a couple of things that we can do. One is to just downplay this, and another thing to do is to despair over it. So there's two equal extremes here. Downplay it, explain it off, real easy to do that. It's always some type of rationalization that makes us move forward in sin. We, we explain away sin, laziness is just sort of pacing ourselves, lying becomes saving face, pride is just, just healthy self-confidence. But if we're going to be honest, we, we are, we're all sinning because we think that that is the currency that is going to buy us what's going to buy us joy, peace, happiness, success. Alice Pike is a name that's probably not a household name to anybody here in the sanctuary. She became infamous in her small town by a shopping spree that she had at a local Walmart. She comes to the end of buying $1,600 worth of things at Walmart. She comes to the cashier and she pulls out a counterfeit bill to pay for a shopping spree. Well, that happens every day. I mean, that, that's something that happens every day in our communities here. People buy things with counterfeit money and they try to pass it off as theirs. But what was interesting about Alice Pike's story is, is the currency that she used was a counterfeit $1 million bill. <laughs> go big or go home, right? Go big or go home. And she sat there, at least according to the reports, waiting to get change back in the tune of $998,000. That's a lot of 20s, that's a lot of 10s, that's a lot of 5s, and that's a lot of 1s. Well, we can laugh at sort of Alice's uh, <laughs> buying spree, but it's really familiar to all of us here. Because we all, we all shop in the world with the currency of sin. And we all are, are trying to pay with sin to be able to, to purchase things that it does not have the buying power to purchase. And we're all waiting for the world to give us back change with our buying sprees of sin. So we lie and we expect good results. We overindulge in food and alcohol and we expect that that's going to make us feel better. We take what isn't ours and we expect that we're going to receive satisfaction. We act selfishly and we think that that's going to uh, give us stronger relationships. We ignore repentance and we expect forgiveness. And when we sin, 
we're handing over a counterfeit bill and we're expecting to receive change from the world, but it is a counterfeit currency that will buy you one thing and that one thing is bondage. It will buy you something, but that is bondage. That is bondage. So the question is, what can set us free from the bondage of the darkness that engulfs us? Boy, aren't you thankful that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us such a clear solution. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There, There are two invitations today that this passage issues to all of us that are here. The first invitation is an invitation to the person who would say, you know, I do not identify as a Christian. I'm here today, but, but I would not say that I'm a follower of Jesus. I actually have a whole lot of doubts about the Bible. I have a whole lot of frustrations about the church. I would tell you you're not alone in those doubts. You're not even alone in those frustrations. And you don't have to figure all of that out to understand the claims of Christianity, which are really clear in this passage. So if you would allow me to just, to just, to just talk to you specifically, who would say, I, I haven't signed up for this whole Christianity thing. This passage is an invitation because at the heart of this passage is a promise that Jesus desires to rescue you. Now you say, what do I need to be rescued from? Well, let's talk about that for a second here. At a deep down place, could you admit this very morning that you don't always keep your own promises? Could you admit this morning that you have and do disappoint those that are closest to you? Maybe even disappoint yourself? Are there times in your life where you say, if I could just rewind that and redo that? Now, you you might not call that a sin. You most likely might not call it a sin. Call it a mistake. Call it not living up to your best self here. But the question is, is, is what do you do with the consequences of sin? We all have consequences. We we see this at work. We see this in our own heart. We see this in our own home. There are consequences to these disappointments of ourselves and the disappointments of others, the choices that we make. We we live with those consequences. And the question is, is what do we do with those consequences? And if you're here today, maybe you're trying to outrun the consequences. Maybe you're trying to overachieve your way to where you don't have to deal with the consequences. And if I have a good enough grades and I have a good enough house and if my family is perfect and my job is perfect, then I can just ignore this, this lurking feeling that all is not well. I can over my, uh, achieve my way out of it. Or maybe you just want to just ignore it and act like it's not there. But at a, at a deep place, I ask you the question, do you realize that this is true of you? It's true of me. It's true of all of us. Jesus says that there is another way. The Bible teaches us that there is another way to move forward in light of the predicament of our sin, and that's not to achieve our way out of it or ignore it, but to receive actual forgiveness from the one who can forgive us. The beauty of the gospel 
is that God's only son came into this earth and he lived a life that is in complete opposition to all of us here because he lived a perfect life. None of us have, he did. He was perfectly light, we are not. And the Bible teaches us that he comes to this place where he receives for, as, the, as, the, as the reward for living a perfect life, he gets crucified. Opposed by the religious leaders of the day. And what the Bible teaches us about this horrendous injustice is that God used this horrendous injustice to be able to purchase forgiveness for all of the darkness that lurks in this world and lurks in our hearts. That the darkness of you, the darkness of me, Jesus swallowed on the cross. He absorbed it completely in his perfection and in his death. And through his blood, it covers all of our mistakes, our sins. And the twist of the story is, as the Bible teaches us, on, on Friday he dies and on Sunday he was raised and he defeats death and he defeats sin. So this is an offer to us because it's actually a living Jesus who offers to us what we actually are longing for, and that is a way out of our bondage. And maybe you need to hear today that the only way is to turn to the only one who can actually purchase your freedom. That's the perfect son of God. So maybe instead of trying to repress it and to ignore it and to overachieve your way out of it, maybe today's an invitation to receive. Uh, the clearest passage in all scripture is this passage in John's gospel, third chapter, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What are you doing with your sin? Maybe today is an invitation to receive the forgiveness of it through Jesus. You can do that right now <laughs> by admitting that you're a sinner, believing the story of the Bible, and committing your life to him. We'd love to talk to you some more about that even today. That's the first invitation. The second invitation is an invitation for all of us that are here in the sanctuary that would say, I'm a Christian. I've received the forgiveness. I've admitted my sins to him, being God, and I've received the forgiveness of my sins through Jesus. But all of us that are here, we, we know acutely because the light of God is so radiant, so bright, we know that darkness remains. When we became Christians, did any one of us in this room become a sinless saint? And the answer to that is, of course, no. This is what John is saying. If we deny our sin, we're not walking in the truth here. So darkness still remains. Sin still lingers in all of our hearts. Now, our sin doesn't disqualify us from being a son or daughter of the Most High God. But what it does is it, it breaks an intimacy with him. And this is something that we walk with daily. So a part of being a follower of Jesus is asking for the forgiveness of our sins of a God who desires to love us and is holy and just to offer us that forgiveness and that cleansing. So it's an invitation to receive from him what we need of him, and that is his forgiveness to daily walk with him. 
Uh, one of the ways to think about this is, I know not everyone in the sanctuary is married here this morning, but many of you are sitting next to your spouse. Many of you could imagine at least a, a situation at night where you come to this place where you do not see eye to eye on a topic, a subject, and there's frustration that builds and that frustration moves to words that are said. And those words that are said are words that you know, you know are going to push the other person away and, and you do it anyway because you know that person better than anyone else does and you know what can, can push them and you know what hurts and, and you sling those arrows. And you might be a Christian here, but, but anyone in this room that's married probably knows that there are times where you do go to bed and, and the, the sun has set and the anger still lurks and still remains. And so the next morning you wake up and you wake up and you see that spouse, your spouse, and you did not nullify your nuptials the night before. You're still married. The commitment that you made, maybe at this very altar here years ago where you said, I do, they still are over you as a couple, but the intimacy of the relationship has been breached. And to restore the joy of the marriage, to restore the joy of intimacy, someone in that relationship has got to have the humility to say, I am sorry, and to say, I am sorry specifically. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. There's nothing general about this. If you confess your sin, there's none of this, uh, God forgive me of my sin, known and unknown. It is, it is the consistency and specificity of coming to God, understanding that our hands are dirty. And there is a intimacy that is not there not because God has moved away, but because we have. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.